You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast for a casual weather conversation. I'm Min Farn. And I'm Castle Williams. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about weather and sports and starting off with how heat can affect people and take a toll on different players, especially in soccer, football, or any outdoor sport. And also talk about wet bulb globe temperature, a metric that is used oftentimes in occupational safety in the military, but is now being instituted in sports as well. Then we will take a look at how altitude may affect certain sports like baseball. And then also how precipitation can affect sports like snow and soccer that actually happened in in 2013 in Denver when the U.S. soccer team was taking on Costa Rica. It snowed a bunch. So we'll take a look at that event too. And that leads to a nice segue into how cold may affect sports and its effect to reduce your dexterity. Of course, we're always going to be talking about pop culture and some of our adventures and what we do in life. And then we'll finish up with our song of the week. Let's do it. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I when I get gone, I get gone And I don't need any wrong to know better so, Castle, how's it been? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm melting over here in Colorado. It apparently can get hot here. Who knew? Actually, Who I kind of knew? knew, but I was having a fantasy in my head thinking it would be cold and wintry for the whole entire summertime. But it's actually, it got up to, I think, close to 100 yesterday. Luckily, we don't have humidity, so that makes it a lot better. But the fact that it's close to 100 um, makes it kind of like the South, and I kind of wanted to escape that. So I didn't, and it's unfortunate. But today it's in the 70s and 80s, so not as bad. But I mean, I can't really complain because I'm sure you're sweltering down there in, in Georgia right now. Yeah, and we actually replaced our uh, French doors in the back of our house today. So there was no door, so it was incredibly hot in the house all day. Wait, what's a French door? So a uh, French door is like, uh, it's kind of like, it's just two doors. It's like side by side. And they open up, it like opens to our deck. And so we were having them replaced because ours was really old and it was kind of rotting from all the rain. And so every time it would rain, it would kind of, water would get into like the kitchen. It would kind of flood a little bit. And so after time and time again of it storming and raining, it was kind of rotting away. So we needed to replace it. Wow. Okay. I thought it was like a door that when you opened it, it said, bonjour. Or you were transported to Paris, maybe. Okay, that does not line with the wardrobe. You're not going <laughs> to just magically open a door and take you to a portal to a new country. But that would yeah. be nice. One that could hope. Nice. One would wish. Anyway, well, speaking about nothing related to it, I guess we can jump into our heat sweltering and sports heat. talk. Yeah, I guess the sweltering <laughs> heat kind of jumps into it. So, sports and weather. they We don't really think about it too often being super related unless we actually play it ourselves. If it's a hot summer day, we may choose to maybe not go outside and play tennis or soccer or whatever we want to do, or wait until it gets a little bit cooler. We're more aware when we're taking part in it. But a lot of times we don't realize that other people and athletes, a lot of the time, they have to deal with the heat or the cold or the rain or the snow or, you know, thunderstorms and lightning, things like that. So we're first going to start talking about how heat can influence the uh, people playing different types of sports, especially uh, things like football, because they have a lot of padding and it makes them uh, overheat more quickly. So Castle, can you tell us a little bit about the metric that 
people use in uh, occupational safety, like for OSHA and the military, and now being adopted more for the uh, sports world. Yeah, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, so the metric is called wet bulb globe temperature. It's our short for WBGT. And it's kind of uh, like heat index, but it's completely different. And we'll go over that later on. But if when you think about it to start off with, think of it as kind of like a heat index, but with added variables that go into it. So basically what it does, it integrates and influences uh, based on sun exposure, air temperature, humidity, and wind speed. So when you're dealing with heat index, you're dealing with temperature and the moisture in the air or like the humidity or dew point, right? And you kind of combine those factors together because if it's more uh, humid outside, then it's harder for you to perspire, which means that the effects on yourself and your uh, physiology, it makes it feel a lot hotter than it actually is. As opposed to if it's drier outside, you're able to sweat. And sweat is an evaporative process, which means it releases heat from your body. So wet bulb globe temperature takes it a step further, right? And you said it incorporates sun exposure. And we all know that's pretty important because if you're out in the sun, like direct sunlight, compared to if you're in the shade, the temperature or what you feel or perceive the temperature to be uh, changes quite drastically, right? Yeah, for sure. So then also wind speed is incorporated into WBGT. Uh, How does wind speed uh, affect how you feel about the temperature or how your body uh, perceives the temperature? So the wind speed, it transports the heat and probably some of the moisture from sweating off of your body and away from you. So it kind of acts as a cooling mechanism. Very cool. So, Castle, you and I actually did a little bit of research in terms of uh, wet bulb globe temperature and sports because of the high levels of mortality and morbidity associated with football, especially. Because, like we said earlier, when you're wearing pads and you're wearing a lot of clothing and the uniforms that people wear as football players, oftentimes that can prevent you from sweating and and trap the heat in your body and and makes you overheat and uh, go through a heat exhaustion, heat stroke, things of that nature. And something interesting that we found in high school, for instance, you have two a day practices, right? You have practices in the morning and you have practices later in the afternoon. You're trying to avoid the hottest part of the day. Well, we actually found that a lot of people, a lot of players actually died when they practiced in the morning. And that was a little bit shocking to us, right? But maybe you can explain to uh, everybody why that was what we found. So basically what happens is uh, when they have practice in the morning, the humidity is a lot higher. And so this is a huge factor in heat, morbidity, and mortality involves humidity. And so with the wet bulb globe temperature, this is factored in more effectively than with the heat index. So what Castle and I did and the other researchers on our project, we tried to understand the variability between the different heat conditions that people face throughout the country. So to give you an example, in Phoenix, Arizona, it's really hot. The temperatures can reach easily into the 110 range, 120 range uh, between there, but it's really dry. But if you compare temperatures in the deep south, like in Georgia or Florida or Louisiana, you have temperatures that average, you know, in the mid-90s during the summertime, but the humidity and dew point can make it feel anywhere from 100 plus to 110, 115. So almost as valid as the temperatures in Phoenix, but with moisture in one place that does not have as much moisture. So those areas experience more extreme heat conditions, right? But then if you move into an area like Maine, or you move into an area like northern Minnesota, they oftentimes don't see as extreme temperatures. And so our rationale behind that was people in areas that see more extreme heat 
are more used to it and more accustomed and acclimatized to the heat conditions. But people who are in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. they don't really see the heat as much. So they're not really used to it. And so playing in a different area or a different region can really have a negative effect on them because they're just not used to it. Their body isn't used to the heat. And that can lead to um, extreme heat illnesses too. But in California, it's really interesting too because they have really varying climate, right, Castle? And they have different... Right. Um, types of climate that can affect uh, how we categorize what areas fall under what. Yeah, and so I think the biggest thing that we were trying to get at is this really isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. There are so many different climates, there's so many different regions that it's imperative that we look at this not from one angle. We need to look at it from all different angles to understand who is acclimatized, who sees these conditions more often, and try and create thresholds or different regulations for different areas based on the weather that they see every day or the extremes that they may see every now and then that we should cancel practice or take significant precautions based on those temperatures. Yeah, because like in California, I was actually looking at it the other day. So my brother's actually in California right now visiting uh, his girlfriend and I was looking at San Francisco weather just for fun. And along the Bay Area immediately next to the water. Uh, San Francisco had a temperature, high temperature forecast of around 65. Just a little bit more inland, the temperature goes up to around 80. And then a little bit more inland from that, you start getting close to the desert and temperatures can get into the mid 90s or close to 100 over a teeny tiny span. So just imagining those weather forecasters for that area, trying to forecast the temperature alone, you have to break it down into three different areas because the climate is so different in that small span of space. And that can cause some issues, too, because if you imagine if you are a high school football player in the uh, Bay Area of San Francisco and you live near the Bay and then you have to drive an hour east of town to play a rival school, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be playing in completely different conditions. It's going to be much hotter, much drier. And so that actually poses a lot of concern for people who, again, are maybe not be used to the temperatures and the conditions. So I think it's really important that we look at that and understand how acclimatization and how people are used to it and conditioned to certain conditions um, are able to then, I guess, uh, perform in that weather without uh, getting sick. Yeah, and that's why California was the perfect example. And uh, we used it in our research project to kind of really show how these different thresholds can exist and why there needs to be more than one kind of safety regulation for this type of heat policy because they can vary so significantly, especially in California, just miles away can be different climate zones. So what states already actually have a policy in place? I know Georgia, where we're from, they have pretty decent policies for their high school uh, sports association. And they they regulate how people can perform or, or play outside. So if the temperature reaches a certain threshold, WBGT, wet bulb glow temperature, then coaches have the obligation to make sure their players cool off, take a break, uh, go inside until the WBGT temperature goes back down to a safer level. Uh, but not all states have that regulation. And so that was something that our research was trying to push for, to get people in states to adopt uh, legislation uh, in terms of their high school athletic associations to make sure that they have something in place so that we can prevent 
heat illnesses and death as well. Yeah, and looking at this uh, map on the Corey Stringer Institute's website, who does a lot of work with uh, wet bulb glim temperature and pushing it as a metric for uh, high school sports. And I'm not sure, do you remember if California had best practices when we did our project? Because it's showing that they do now. And so I'm wondering if they perhaps looked at our work or integrated it in some aspect uh, i do i don't think i remember seeing Corey uh stringer's website having showing california having uh, yeah, good regulations yeah. so maybe maybe it changed i'm not really sure um some states have started adding regulations since we started mm-hmm. doing the research back in 2014 i believe and Correct. um so i would not be surprised and i think a lot of people are definitely moving in that direction because they realize how important it is Yeah, right now, according to their website, there's three states that have best practices for wet bulb globe temperature, and that's California, Georgia, and Vermont. Go dogs! So, but it also makes me wonder, like, because I remember in high school when we would play, like, in the playoffs from someone in South Georgia, and they would have to come up to North Georgia, where I went to high school, it was always, like, November, so it was cold, and so we were always like, yes, we got a team that's not used to being cold. So perhaps we'll have home field advantage. I don't know, it's like, is that something they take into consideration? Is that like something that's fair? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, it's fair, I suppose, because, you know, in terms of traveling, you never really know if you're going to travel one place or right. the other for the postseason. It just depends on, on how good the team is and what rank you are in terms of the playoffs, you know. So, I mean, you guys could have easily gone down south and played in November and, you know, the weather in Georgia in November and December, we had 80s, almost 90 degrees for Christmas last year. So it could be warm. You never know. In that situation, a lot of times it can be cool. And so I don't know how much of a difference a fall day in North Georgia and South Georgia are. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't make too much of a difference, but unless it starts snowing. So speaking of unfair advantages, uh, we should probably talk about how altitude may affect certain sports like baseball. So for example, the baseball field, or I guess more specifically Coors Field in Denver, Colorado, is the highest altitude stadium, baseball stadium in the United States. And so when baseball players travel and play at Coors Field, is there a home field advantage because this is such a high altitude? What do you think? Um, I think there is. I, we we kind of do a little bit of research into what happens to a baseball, how different altitude, I guess, affects how a baseball travels in the air. So we kind of talked about the idea of how if you're at a higher altitude, the air is less Mm -hmm. dense, right? And that means that the balls will fly uh, more in the air. And at a lower altitude, the air is more dense, which means the balls will fly less. So if you're at Coors Field and you're batting the ball and you hit a home run, there is more of a chance that you'll get a home run because the ball will fly just a little bit more than if you played in Atlanta or at Fenway Park. And so I'm not really sure how that affects people too much because that would mean that everybody would get a home. Well, not everybody would get a home run, but more people could get a home run technically, whether or not you play for the Rockies or you play for another team because you're still hitting it the same way, right? Yeah, I would think so. So wait, here's an idea. If you play for the Colorado Rockies and you hit the baseball in a certain way, and you see a home run, and you're practicing in Denver all the time, then if you play somewhere else and you think that the way you hit the ball is enough to get a home run, but when you play at a lower altitude, the ball doesn't travel as much, and then you're like, oh crap, that same motion I used to bat the ball and get a home run in Denver 
doesn't work here anymore. Right. I wonder if it actually plays against Denver now thinking about it. Huh. I am not sure. I know that more home runs are seen at Coors Field, but that obviously makes more sense. Yeah. Um, but also, if a team is coming to play at Coors Field, do they arrive like three or four days in advance so that they can adjust like for altitude sickness and like getting the right amount of oxygen and stuff i guess that would have to be something that taken to consideration as well altitude sickness is a very real thing in colorado especially <laughs> if you're uh, hiking or something like that i don't know how much of a factor that would be if you are playing uh, baseball because mm-hmm. i mean not to say anything against baseball but i don't think that it involves a lot of aerobic exercise and i think altitude sickness really affects people if you're um, exerting yourself a lot in terms of running or anything like that. Um, I don't see that being an issue with baseball, but I can definitely see it being a problem with soccer. And that actually, a little tangent, because again, we always do like our tangents. In Colorado Springs, Colorado, just south of Denver, that's where the National Olympic Training Center is. And a lot of people train there because it's a high altitude. And mm. for people like track and field runners or people of that nature, they get used to the thinner air less oxygen, which means that they can build up their uh, heart rate and then well, their heart rate actually will lower if they're uh, more in shape. And that actually helps you when you're competing against other people. Because mm. if you're competing against people who are used to uh, a lower altitude and more oxygen, then as a person who is training in Colorado, you have more, um, I guess you have more efficiency mm. in terms of how you breathe and how your body uh, reacts right. to to the air so it actually gives them an advantage and that's partially i believe why the training center is in colorado uh, colorado springs anyway i guess that makes sense i was just watching uh chelsea's new show on netflix her new late night talk show and she had a woman who just climbed everest and she's like the most climbs in the united states or something and she was saying how long it took to climb everest because you have to go up to a certain mm-hmm. altitude spend yeah. the night come back down and rest, then go back up, go up a little higher, stay the night, get adjusted to it, come back down and rest. And so she said it took like a crazy amount of time because you have to keep going up and down the mountain before you can actually make it to the peak. Exactly. It, any experienced climber knows that if you're doing anything high, like especially Mount Everest, then you have to get your body used to the altitude. Because if you don't, you're, you're going to die. You really will. Um, there are actually, I believe, um, 10 special forces, uh, military members who were rescued from Long's Peak. That's like, um, in Estes Park, just north of Denver. This happened about two weeks ago. Um, oh. two of their, uh, people in their group got altitude sickness and they, um, couldn't uh, make it. So they had to get a helicopter off the, uh, off the peak. And so, you know, for someone who's in the military, they're perceived to be in more shape and even, altitude sickness can affect them so it's really important that uh, people understand the need to get used to the altitude before they do anything so that's definitely an important part for baseball um i don't know how much time they have to get used to it and i'm not really sure what effect it would have but for something like soccer definitely Mm -hmm. it would affect it because you know if you're not used to playing the high altitude you're running the whole entire time it's definitely going to take a toll on you And, you know, we talked a little bit about soccer earlier and how that can affect it. 
Well, you know, apparently everything wild happens in Colorado because the <laughs> uh, United States men's soccer team played Costa Rica. This is a while ago, back in 2013, but I remember watching it on TV and actually one of my coworkers was actually at that game and said it was wild. It was a whiteout condition and snow was falling everywhere, inches and inches of snow. And at one point, I think they even considered uh, canceling the game, but the game was the World Cup qualifier for the 2014 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And so this is a really important game. Costa Rica is known to be a pretty decent team. And in order for the United States to qualify, they have to beat Costa Rica, which they did, 1-0. to zero. But the thing is, Costa Rica, they don't really get snow very often. And so playing in snow for them is pretty wild. And a lot of people said, you know, it wasn't really fair to play such an important game in an area that got so much snow, because one could argue that the United States team is more accustomed to snow and knows how to deal with it more. But honestly, watching that game, I can't really say anybody really knows what to do when there's tons and tons of snow on the field, because at one point, the field was so white, they had to actually switch out the ball to a yellow and purple colored ball, so people even couldn't even see the ball. And that's kind of that's a problem. Crazy. Could you imagine just playing on a field, no. kicking a, a white ball around and, and thinking like, I don't even know where the ball is. And then you get hit in the face. <laughs> or you don't know where the ball is and you're the goalkeeper and all of a sudden the ball's behind you in the net. You're like, oh, when did that ball get in? Um, so it's pretty interesting to see how uh, the weather can really affect and give home field advantage a new meaning because... Who would have thought that you could play in so much snow? It's crazy. I'm looking at the website, the USA Today article, and the, the crazy photos from that article, too. Um, people were, like, slide tackling each other and making little snow angels on the field. <laughs> it, it's insane just to think that this is something that they played in. And if you're a fan, it would be kind of fun, but at the same time, you wouldn't be able to see anything. No. <laughs> so that would kind of be annoying, but I think the the fact that you're playing – uh, in the snow and watching people play in the snow is kind of cool anyway. But it's just amazing to me how they even continue to play it. But when it comes to something important like that, you kind of have to uh, go on and, and do and play play the game because it matters so much. You can't just stop it and say, oh, we'll, we'll right. get it back, back up tomorrow. But it's very interesting. So, we'll, yeah, we'll also link you to the uh, article and to the pictures too because the pictures themselves are pretty worth it just to even look at. And uh, luckily, America did win 1-0, but it was not an easy game, but it was a cool one at that. Get it? Cool? (laughs) Cool. So it makes me wonder, do they take the weather forecast into account? Like, if they saw it was going to be the potential for a crazy snowstorm, did they think about moving the arena to somewhere else that wasn't crazy snow? Or do they ever have like a middle ground where they meet in the middle so that it's kind of both climate zones well kind of what we talked about with the altitude right i believe they chose colorado for a reason because they knew that costa rica is from sea level for the most part or a much lower altitude oh. so they knew that it would affect them but they didn't wow. realize it was going to snow because these games are normally scheduled um a pretty good amount of time in advance you know before mm-hmm. it even happens so uh they didn't i don't think they knew it was going to snow i don't think they're really banking on it also, again, in Colorado, the snow season happens normally in March, April, and even back uh, later on in May. Uh, I got snowed on, you know, and that was May. Right. So it's pretty interesting. But I believe they played the game in late March in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so they definitely knew it was snow season, but I don't think they really planned on it snowing so much. 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, Colorado can get really cold during that time too. So not only did they know that the altitude was going to affect Costa Rica, they knew the temperature was too. Cause I think the game time temperature was 30 degrees. And again, Costa Rica is rather tropical. They don't really see 30 degrees very often. Right. And, um, in this article, the game that the United States played before was, uh, against Honduras and they lost two to one. And the temperature of that game was close to 85. And they wow. said America, the American team withered in the heat. So they definitely did not wither in the cold temperatures because they won. But again, goes back to home field advantage and, and knowing what to do in certain uh, conditions. And the Costa Rican team, I don't think knew what to do in the cold and the snow. They never had an opportunity to train in it, I'm sure. So, um, you know, USA won, Costa Rica zero, and we advanced to the World Cup, which was another story, but whatever. <laughs> well, speaking of the cold impacting a sport, we definitely should talk about the impairment of dexterity associated with cold and sports being put together. So dexterity in terms of how you are able to move your fingers and toes kind of thing? Right. So maybe how nimble you are, how easily it is to move. Nimble? Is that That's a word, right? Nimble? I think so. Okay. Nimble. <laughs> How nimble. It makes you sound, uh, reminds me of the word feeble. You are mm-hmm. nimble and feeble. Anyway, go ahead. But it's like how quick you can move, like how easily it is to move your fingers and toes, like you said, or your muscles e- too, right? Right. And so, like, how is the cold impacting your muscles and your ability to move? And so, this is a good topic because I did a paper on this oh how convenient undergrad i didn't know that i wasn't sitting <laughs> in the audience when you gave that presentation what yeah it was in thermodynamics it was um so we had to pick a topic in thermodynamics and like weather and how it was related and so obviously i was into more of applications of weather and so that's why i focused on wind chill and how that affects dexterity and i have no clue how i came up with that project idea. I knew that I wanted to have some type of application of my research instead of it just being theoretical or formulas and stuff. Um, So basically some of the literature review that I did, um, interestingly, it looked at both athletes and tourism, which I was extremely happy about because most of the time when you do this kind of research, the people in the audience aren't always taken into account as often as they should be. So it was for both athletes and tourists. So The study that looked at tourism specifically was in Iran, and they were trying to figure out where was the best place and the worst place to have sporting events. And so because of the wind chill factor, they narrowed it down to two cities. The best was Lordagon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And the worst was Kurong. Where are those places? In Iran. Okay. But uh, Kurong experiences extreme, extreme uh, winds and cold. And so they said, at all costs, we must avoid this city. Um, But it's interesting that this research is going into figuring out what cities are best and worst. So I thought that was pretty cool. So as I mentioned with the the worst city, like Kurong, the reason why they chose that that was the worst city was based on the winds. So with dexterity, cold, and sports... The biggest factor is wind chill. And so wind chill is one of those interesting things, kind of like the opposite of heat index that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Um, so it has this crazy long formula that someone developed ages ago, and that's how we use wind chill. So basically, as the wind chill temperature decreases, so does dexterity. 
Um, and so research has proven that dexterity loss in your fingers alone starts at 57 degrees Fahrenheit, which personally, I thought that was pretty warm. Yeah, I can, I, I, when you gave that presentation in class, I was kind of mm-hmm. surprised, actually. I was thinking, 57 degrees? Huh. That's really interesting. But if you think about it, in the wintertime in my house, it gets pretty cool. We don't really turn the heat on really, really high. And if I'm typing at a computer, my fingers start hurting, and I can't really move them very quickly yeah. because my fingers are getting cold. No. So when true. I thought about you saying 57 degrees and I thought, hmm, it's kind of warm, I was thinking, well, in my house, it's normally around 60 uh, mm-hmm. during the wintertime, and my fingers are already starting to feel the effects of it being rather cool. So when you think about it, it actually doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and I think 57 degrees is a lot colder than we think, but maybe the perception of the temperature that goes along with cold may be a little skewed because in my mind, cold is like 35 degrees. But then again, dexterity loss doesn't have to be extreme cold. It's just when the body starts feeling the temperature affecting it. Uh, So I can definitely remember playing tennis in really cold weather and my fingers being hard to move. And so uh, this research could also be applicable to outdoor workers, such as like OSHA, um, especially for like construction workers who may be like hammering or using uh, small tools with their fingers. Um, So it would reduce their dexterity as well as other outdoor sports. So it's really interesting. Um, The project was a lot of fun and yeah. Applications to weather. Yay. We always like that. Yeah, of course. We would like to see how things are applicable. So weather definitely affects sports, guys. So next time you guys watch TV, you will probably pay a little bit more attention to it and see how uh, it impacts that kind of stuff. And if you don't, then try and find a connection to weather because more than likely there is one. So what's going on? I feel like we still haven't talked in forever. It's in between podcasts is the only time we really get to talk. It's just been so busy, you know, working full time. Yeah, when well, you your fancy job. And yeah, no, it was pretty hectic today. <laughs> but I mean, I can't really spell the details, unfortunately. But you're just going to have to uh, take my word for it. But no, during the weekday, I'm working. On the weekends, I'm hiking or trying to explore Denver and Colorado, so I really haven't had too much time. But uh, no, uh, not really too much crazy going on. I went to the uh, Manitou Springs Incline down in Manitou Springs near Colorado mm. Springs. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I haven't. So I think it's one of the toughest hikes in the country, and it's oh, definitely wow. one of the toughest hikes I've ever been on. Actually, the toughest hike, and pretty much what it is, it's a trail that starts at the Manitou Springs City area. And you go up part of Pikes Peak, which is a 14er uh, mountain. And it used to be an old railway where it would carry uh, trains and passengers up the mountain on these rails. Well, that railway really isn't existent anymore. And so what you're left with is a bunch of wooden blocks that are kind of make up the stairway. And the rails are gone, but you can imagine just a bunch of stairs going up this mountain. And in total, the trail is about, it goes up to, the Manitou Springs Incline goes up to about 2,000 plus feet in less than a mile. I think 0.7 to 0.8 miles. And so you can imagine how steep that is, you know? Yeah, for sure. So the last time I did it was two years ago. I did it in about an hour and a half. But I had just gone from, uh, flown in from Georgia the day before. And so super exhausted. And also like the idea of altitude poisoning we were talking about 
how that can really affect you. And so that really affected me and I couldn't uh, breathe. I was getting really nauseous. I was trying to drink a lot of water and um, I got pretty sick throughout the trail. And, you know, again, mm. this is very short. It's not even a mile. And uh, finished in an hour and a half. It was very winded and very exhausted, but it was totally worth it. Um, this time around, I finished in about an hour and three minutes. And this time, I had been in Colorado. New record. Say what? New record. <laughs> New personal best. So speaking of what we talked about soccer earlier, they're playing uh-huh. the Copa America game in Chicago right now. And my friend's at that game, and they have a bunch of tornado warnings around the area. Oh, so snap. Um, a little worried about that. So I'm actually kind of warning my friend uh, to be careful and be safe because those tornadoes are coming, and it's not cool. Weather venue and safety for live events is something we're going to be talking about later on in another podcast, but just to uh, give you a little bit of a precursor. So my friend said, thanks for the update. Very helpful. Not sure if the lightning or thunder will, will let up, but we'll see. Yeah. Just uh, stay inside. So are they still in the stadium or are they moved to like somewhere indoors or? I don't know. I'm ask. It's like live wow. tweeting, live Snapchatting. <laughs> yeah. This is a live coming to you live, <laughs> except you will not hear it for two weeks. Yeah, I know. So it'll be like a delayed live. So. <laughs> you won't really know what's going to happen to the to my friend until two weeks after the fact. Speaking of events, we should probably talk about the um, metro station flood that happened yesterday or two days ago in D.C. Oh, my gosh. That was so crazy. I mean, so during the summertime, the subway system, uh, what, a few months ago had, like, fires and they had to shut down yeah. the subway system to repair it. Now they have flooding. I mean, what's next? <laughs> The poor subway yeah. system is going through terribleness, man. Um, the pictures are insane. I, I saw a picture of... And the video, too. I didn't see the video. I want to look at the video later. I saw a picture of people walking upstairs and it's like a deluge of water yeah. coming down into the subway. And I'm just thinking, oh, Lord, help these people. <laughs> it's crazy, though, when you watch the... Because there's like surveillance camera footage. And so it's like a camera watching the, the exit of the subway or the metro. Yeah. And people are just walking up at like nothing is happening. They're like waiting at the top of the stairs. This one girl is just standing on the stairs, <laughs> like texting... And it's crazy she that they... Snapchat her friend. Look at this. Maybe. I'm in flooding. The subway is flooding. <laughs> I'm so cool. It just seems so strange to me that people weren't reacting as much as they were. I would be like, holy cow, what do we do? This is crazy. Well, with the amount of rain that Washington, D.C. gets, I'm actually kind of surprised they don't see this more often. I kind of mm-hmm. thought that they would see it pretty often, but maybe not. I don't know. Actually, why don't a lot of subway systems flood? Because most major cities have some kind of subway or light rail system. And most major cities have probably seen a decent amount of heavy rain or thunderstorms, you know? So I'm actually kind of surprised we don't see this more often. Maybe we do. It's just not as documented. Yeah. Well, now with social media, everyone can document everything, right? Yeah, they can. So there you go. So, Castle, I heard you were having issues with your car and you're kind of worried about driving at home and making it back safely. But uh, I see in the Skype video that you are at home. So that means you made yes. it back home safely, which I'm glad to hear. Uh, but yeah, what's wrong with your vehicle? Yeah, so I went back to Athens and I think I recorded the last podcast in Athens. I can't remember. But then I found I was doing some errands on the weekend 
and my car, like the temperature gauge started going towards the H. And so I immediately shut the air off and rolled down the windows to prevent it from overheating. And so after that, I was really worried. So I took it to the mechanic and he was like, oh, your head gasket is leaking. So that'll cost about 1800 to $2,000 to replace. What exactly is the head uh, gasket again? So based from this experience, I've had to do a lot of learning and research. So I can tell you what that is. <laughs> so a head gasket is kind of almost like a valve that keeps the pressure in for the engine. And so when it leaks, it makes the water from the radiator like it evaporates it and so when the water goes down that's when your car overheats so you have to keep adding water i think you're ready to work at a car dealership now or a mechanic. i know like that was re- i'm really proud of you right there that was, that was yeah. very well very well said i have no idea what you said but well no i <laughs> it makes sense so when you explain it it makes sense but so then plot twist i found out i took it to another dealer or another place here in calhoun which is what i told you to do yeah, and he said, oh, I see this all the time with 2002 Altimas, the head gasket leaks. So he said, "When if you replace the head gasket, then in six months, it'll start leaking again. And so based on that information and some other things that we found, I'm pretty sure that I've had a leaking gas head gasket the entire time I've owned this car. Oh, wow. So there was... Yeah, so someone sold it to me with a leaking head gasket. Do you think they knew? Yes. Do you, can you track that person down and be like, uh, excuse me, rude? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, my parents are just saying that they're not going to buy it because they've bought three cars from him. And so the other two were really good. I think this one was different because we told him like, this is our price limit. We need to find something at this or lower. So he had to physically go out and find something versus him having a car on his lot that's at his standard. And so I think by trying to get that low price, he didn't see it. And so the biggest evidence that we have is there's this thing called stop leak and it's like molecules that plug holes, basically. And so they found traces of that in the radiator when I first bought it. So someone tried to fix it up. Right. Well, so when, when I bought it, they found traces of stop leak in the radiator. So they're like, maybe the radiator has a a leak. And so they flushed out the radiator and they couldn't find a leak. So what we think happens is they use stop leak to stop the leak on the head gasket. Mm. And it got into the radiator. That's why there were traces of it in the radiator. Gotcha. Yeah. Dang, sketch stuff, man. Yeah, so now they're saying I need to replace the motor, the entire motor, in order to get a head gasket that won't blow every six months. And then it's just worth it to get a new car? Yes, so that's pretty much where we're at, is whether I should spend $2,500 to get a new motor, or... No, no, it's not worth it. Sorry, it's it's definitely not worth it. That's how I feel, but it's a decision we have to make as a family, so... Oh, hi, Yeah. So speaking of family, I do have another quick car story. So the same time this was happening with my car, I get a call from my mom last weekend and she said on the phone, we've hit a goat. What? Call me. Call me. She hit a goat? That was the voicemail. We've hit a goat. Call me back. (laughs) And so I was like, oh my God, like what the hell? Are goats very plentiful around Calhoun in North Georgia? No, they're not. So I call her back. She's like, yeah, we're on the side of the road. What happened was we're on Interstate 75. Oh, my gosh. A really big highway. Yeah. And she said, we saw something in the middle of the road and we thought it was a deer. And there were cars on both sides of my dad. So he couldn't change lanes. 
And so when they got closer, they realized it was a goat. And so he had no choice but to hit it because he couldn't move did planes. It, wait, did it die? Yeah. Aww. He was going like 65. And so they pulled over and they called the police and they said, whatever you do, don't get out of your car. And my mom was like, why? What does it matter? And she said, we've had a report that there's a bulldog out there chasing the goat. And so we don't know where the bulldog's at. What? And so, yeah, this is like the craziest. Look at you and your crazy stories. And so they are sitting by the road and all of a sudden they hear this squeal. And so they look up and there's this woman in the fast lane. She jerks the steering wheel flies across all three lanes oh my and goes God. in the ditch behind them. Holy crap. And so she said what happened was she was looking at the police lights where they had pulled in behind my parents and then she looked up really quick and saw the goat in the middle of the road and she swerved out of the way to hit to miss it. Didn't they move did it move the goat? They were trying to, but the police had just arrived right before that happened. Oh and so she flew across all three lanes of traffic and there's she's so lucky that she didn't hit anyone. <sighs> You know what I think they should do for a traffic accident on a major interstate is for however many lanes there are to get mm-hmm. police to go in front of those vehicles and then slow down and then make them stop and then direct traffic that way. You know, like drive slowly. The, the people have to drive behind mm-hmm. the police car and I then gotcha. the, the police car can uh, lower their speed limit uh, slowly, slowly and slowly until they reach the destination of the uh, accident. And then yeah. by the time you get there, you can funnel the traffic into um, you know, one lane or two lanes or whatever. But I mean, if, if an accident like that, I mean, your parents got over to the shoulder though, right? Didn't yeah. stay in the middle of the highway. No, okay. they were on the shoulder. But yeah, it was so crazy. But your parents were okay. Yeah, they were fine. Car. My dad's car, on the other hand. So you guys are really he, are down like yeah. two cars. So though. he took it. He took it to the dealership and thirty three hundred dollars. The insurance doesn't cover it? No, it does. Okay. But that's how much, like, everything costs. How did accidents and uh, forgiveness work in this situation? Because you didn't really hit a car, you kind of hit a deer or a goat. Right, at... exactly. So we don't know how it works, but Progressive said it's going to be, like, we have to pay the deductible. <sighs> and so I was like, the owner of the goat should have to pay the deductible. Where's Flo? Maybe you can talk to Flo from Progressive yeah. and she can give you a deal. <laughs> But apparently, according to the policeman, this has happened like five times. A goat has gotten out and, and onto the highway. Is there a farm nearby? Yeah, there the is. The same but farm? They can't, but they can't track it down, apparently. Couldn't they? Though? Because I was like, we need to go get them to pay for Dude, it. Dude, do an cause... autopsy on the goat. See what kind of food it <laughs> ate. See what kind of food they used at that farm where the goat probably came from. Wow. Dude, there are so many things you could do to try a little bit harder. But I can see... I just think you could find... You could just search goat farms... And call each one. I'm sure there's like three. How many goats do you have? Zero. What happened? They all escaped. How close do you live to the interstate? Oh. I mean, there's all kinds of proximity things. Suicide of goats, but man. Yeah. That's not cool. I know. It's just crazy. Like, and they. The funny thing was in the police report, they did. You know how they have like diagrams of what happened. Did someone draw a goat? No, they had to. They had to do use like the the icon of a dog, and they <laughs> pointed an arrow and said goat because they didn't have an icon for it oh my gosh that's kind of funny i mean not funny a little bit morbid but kind of funny yeah at the same sad time. for the goat but oh, poor goat poor family but i'm glad overall the story could have been a lot crazier and worse but i mean it was very crazy yeah. actually so yeah it was something you don't hear every day for sure wait so last episode i met some famous people 
And apparently you recently (laughs) met a famous person too, right? Who was that? So you probably don't know who it is, but (laughs) people who enjoy The Bachelor or The Bachelorette that's currently on, I met James T or James Taylor from The Bachelorette. He moved to Atlanta after the show. And so he's been, he's a singer songwriter. And so he's been doing a lot of shows in Atlanta. And then this one bar in Athens asked him to come and perform. And so I went with my friend Shayna and we got to meet him and we like talked to him and took pictures with him. And it was just really cool. Dude, that's sweet. Yeah. So after your celebrity encounter, I was like craving some celebrityness. So I was like, I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but that was the first time I've met someone from The Bachelor or The Bachelorette in person. I don't even like that show. I'm sorry. I know. I don't understand how. But for those of you who do watch it, he's still on the show as of Monday, June 20th. But since you won't see this episode for two weeks, it's not like a spoiler alert. Because by then you should have watched it. Should they have watched Let's it? Let's be honest. But if yeah. they have a life and they have other things to do. so They should not be three episodes behind on The Bachelorette. That show was maybe cool 10 years ago. Maybe. Ugh, maybe it's still cool. so good. No. This whole... Ugh. I hate reality TV right now. Except for the... You never like it. Yeah. Well, I used to like American Idol and stuff like that. And I kind of do when that you... That doesn't count see the inspirational videos of people on Facebook or uh, Tumblr or whatever. Where they're ugly, but they're saying, And then all the judges were like, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, wow, that that's what you take from it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I watched a video yesterday of a 16-year-old girl in America who's got talent. And... Um, apparently Simon Cowell is a judge on America's Got Talent now. Yeah, he is. So he was on American Idol, left that, yep. was on X Factor for two seasons yep. and that got canceled. And then now he's on, uh, America's Got Talent. So yep. he's jumping all the way around. But yeah, the 16 year old girl who overcame cancer, I think, and was singing a fight song by Rachel Platten. Oh yeah. And I it was really, that. really, uh, I mean, her voice was beautiful. It was great. Was it the best video ever? No, but. It was very touching and very um, memorable, and Simon loved her so much, and it's pretty inspirational. I mean, I'm glad that she's an inspiration to everybody. She does not look like she's 16, though. Just kind of throwing it out there. Did uh, did he hit the gold button? He did. I didn't know out oh, of okay. Wikipedia what the gold buzzer was. Yeah, sent you straight through. Yeah, and it's not like they were going to, yeah. no one was going to say no to her, but he just went ahead and said, well, I'm going to have to do it. Sorry, guys. Pushes it, and then dramatic motivational music plays yeah, and, and, and confetti then confetti falls in slow motion and like, <laughs> ugh, typical typical american tv but no i'm really happy for her so it'd be very interesting to see how far she goes but there you go well speaking of singers and songwriters and shows of that nature we should probably move on to our song of the week so men what is your song of the week this week what have you been listening to well in watching copa america and watching the usa play pretty well up until yesterday when they lost a Argentina 4-0. Um, who could blame him? Because uh, Lionel Messi was playing and killed it. Yeah, anyway, I know you probably this didn't... all means nothing That to means me. nothing to you. What does COPA stand for? Cup. <laughs> oh, cup. I think you said C-O-P-A. What does America stand for? America. <laughs> I thought you said C-O-P-A. Copa. Yeah, Copa America. It's Spanish. Oh, it just means cup? Mm-hmm. Like American cup. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So this is the 100th year anniversary of the Copa America. So it's like a special um, tournament. And the United States got to the semifinal, and they were playing Argentina, and they got slaughtered, essentially. And they were playing awful. It was terrible watching them. But anyway, the reason I said that is because the song of the week is uh, David Guetta featuring Zara Larson, And she's the same girl that sings uh, Never Forget You. 
and the song oh, is uh, gotcha. this one's for you and this is the uh is it like the theme of the cup kind of see that's where i go a little bit awry with my uh, connection because that song this one's for you is a theme song for the euro cup in ah. europe and all the soccer stuff is going on right now there's Copa america there's the uh, euro cup and so that's the theme song for the euro which is also going on right now which is pretty intense watching some of those games too but uh yeah google youtube this one's for you david Guetta featuring zora larson and you can get into some of the music it's a very typical david Guetta song for sure and uh with the vocals of zara it's pretty good very catchy zara zara she's swedish Scandinavian, I'm, I'm sure. I forgot I what country no she's from, but... You go, girl. She's only like 18, I think, too. Why is everybody so much younger? Because we're getting I don't older. Know. I was about to say, they're starting young. Everyone's starting young. Alright, anyway. Castle. Castle, yeah. your song of the week is... So, I've still been obsessively listening to the Ariana Grande album. Oh my god, but stop with the Ariana Grande. I figured that our listeners didn't want to hear another... They uh, probably heard her whole album. Based on raving reviews of they they I mean why not it's all I listen to these days (laughs) but since Nick Jonas just came out with his new album I thought I would give him a shout out especially since I'm going to see him in concert next week which should be awesome in Orlando but my song of the week is called Bacon by Nick Jonas and I know we made fun of that before it came out but it is a pretty legit song. He, he would be able to get away with that, too. The lyrics probably aren't the best, but I like the um, the beat and the, the background music. So check it out for sure. Nick Jonas. And add a little bacon. Add a little bacon. Dude, everything. I want some bacon right now. She created some. I guess we should wrap it up. Yeah, we should wrap it up. You can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype. You can also find us on the website at weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype. Or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us or leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. We would greatly appreciate it. Until Until next next time, time, stay hyped. Next, we will take a look at how altitude may affect certain sports like baseball and affect the forces that are at play when balls are being hit. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I say balls, it's just like, what is coming after that?